0: And the more you speak up, the more ideas that you have, even if they are really awful ideas, you'll find yourself uncovering great ideas. But until you start thinking about this and having these ideas, you'll never be able to uncover the great ones.
1: Welcome to From the Dorm Room to the Boardroom a podcast where we provide insights, tips, and inspiration for college students and young professionals so they can make a really successful transition from college life to the professional world and beyond. My name is Andy Malinsky, and I'm your host. I'm also a professor of organizational behavior and international management at Brandeis University's International Business School, where we record and produce this podcast. Today's guest is Kimberly J. Kim is a former professional dancer, choreographer, and Nike athlete, and now a founder and director of Doodle Direct. So, thanks so much for uh, joining us today,
0: Guy Andy. Listen, it's an absolute pleasure. I'm very excited to do this.
1: All right, well, let's jump right in. So, 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 tell us. Uh, so I'd like to start by having you tell us a, a bit about uh, what you do now, what's your job. And, and we'll, I want to hear that. And then we'll kind of rewind to when you were in university, where you were a bit younger and, and hear about like how you got from back there to now. But let's start with a now.
0: Okay. So now I run a company called Doodle Direct and we're a visual communications company. We started in London. So we're based in London and we're just three and a half years old. So still relatively new in the business stakes. but we work with some some really interesting clients. We've got a great list of clients and we build animated video specifically for internal and external brand communications. So this can be anything in terms of, you know, it can be employee communications. It can be uh, communications for a social media audience. Um, But everything that we do is based around animation.
1: So... To, to, how, did, how did you, um how did you found it? It sounds like you started, you said, <laughs> you're, you're, I assume you founded it, right? I did. Yes. And, and so, how, so, so tell us about that. So actually let's, let's rewind. So, so that's really cool. First of all, it's really cool. Just full stop. So, so tell us about your university experience, what you did immediately afterwards and how that path got you to where you are now.
0: So my university experience was quite interesting, <clears throat> excuse me, because I actually studied my degree in biomedical science. Uh, originally, my career path was going to be in forensic pathology.
1: Ha! <laughs> huh. And so for the, uh, for, for the uninformed among us, what is forensic pathology? So
0: is forensic that, like, pathology yes, uh, is, is essentially the study of tissues in order to determine uh, a cause of death.
1: Ah, right. Exactly. I was thinking like those detective shows.
0: It is exactly that. So I was, I was sort of considering doing it before it became fashionable on NCIS and CSI and all of the TV shows. Um, it was something I'd wanted to do from being quite young, actually merging my love of science. I had a really keen love of science as a child with my wanting to be a police officer. Um, I knew that I wanted to be involved somehow in, in the, in, in the police. So being able to bring them together, I discovered, ha forensic pathology. This is the way forward.
1: <laughs> and so, so, Yeah, that's interesting. And so, so that sounds like you kind of didn't ultimately take that path, right?
0: No, I didn't. Um, so uh, at the age of 11, I, I actually started dancing and it was just a community thing um, and something to do outside of school. So I didn't go to a prestigious dance school or anything like that. It wasn't anything serious. It was just for fun outside of school. But within school, I was still quite academic. So I went through, did all of my exams, went through into uh, my senior years, what we call here um, our college years, which are actually your high school senior years, specializing in biology, chemistry, and mathematics. As I said, convinced that my career path was going to be this forensic pathology. But whilst I was doing this dance stuff on the side, I figured that it was something that I really enjoyed doing. And wouldn't it be cool if I could turn it into a career? Now, at the time, this, <laughs> this wasn't even remotely viable. Um, I knew that, you know, my parents would, would hit the roof if I explained to them that I wanted to be a professional dancer rather than a forensic pathologist. But in my head, it was always something that I dreamed about. I thought, you know, it would just be so great if one day I could do this. I could do this dance stuff and be paid for it and pay my rent and pay my bills and just do what I love. And actually within, you know, coming into my third year at university, it was then that I made the decision to walk away from my degree and attempt to become a professional dancer and choreographer.
1: Wow. Okay. So, <laughs> so that that's very interesting. Now, actually, I just want to rewind for one quick sec. Where did this all take place? You're you're from the UK. Tell us just a bit about your background, because I imagine many, 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 but not all of the listeners, but many of the listeners here are, are in the US.
0: That's right. Yeah. So I was born in a town in the north of the UK called Huddersfield, and then moved into London with my family um, when I was seven years old. So pretty much everything, you know, sort of happened and took off for me whilst I was in in London, in East London specifically. Um, so I, I grew up there.
1: Got it. Okay. All right. So so you're you're doing forensic pathology. You're loving dance on the side, and you're thinking, gosh, you know maybe I can make this, this, this dance thing work. And you left university and, and, um, and and then what?
0: (laughs) Oh, wow. And then what? And then reality hit. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Um, and I realized just how difficult it was to be able to monetize my passion for dance without the formal dance training, without the connections that I needed in the dance industry And without probably the dance styles, in terms of the dance styles that I did, um, they weren't the traditional styles you'd expect of a professional dancer. But I was, you know, still going for it. I decided that I was going to make this my career. But I'll be honest, it was an exceptionally painful few years that followed then because I was ultimately turned away from every audition that I went to. Um, I pretty much was not recognized in the industry as being anybody that could, you know, dance, let alone be paid for it. So it was heartbreaking, I guess, because I had sort of walked away from this, you know, relatively stable career in, in forensic pathology, I suppose, into the uncertainty of the entertainment industry without any background or really very much knowledge about how I was going to make it. I just knew that I was, that's all I had going for me at the time, but there was, it was a massive uphill struggle.
1: And then in, in, how did you feel sort of towards the end of, I, I imagine there was a sort of inflection point there where you said, all right, I got to do something different. Like what was your mindset back then? And, and, and what came next?
0: Um, yeah, I think, I mean, in terms of doing something different, it well, I don't think I necessarily did anything differently. I did what I could to put myself in the best position that I could um, in comparison to those that I was going up for auditions against. So I tried to train in some of the more commercial dance styles. I tried to create, um, um, uh, uh, become friends with people in the industry, create the networks, build the relationships that I needed within the industry. Um, but again that's that's not enough to be able to pay your rent, you know, um so I think for me, what it was, it was probably my tenacity and the fact that I just stuck with it. Um, I kept going, even though the doors were closing in my face, left, right, and center. I continued to attend these auditions to meet people to find out about opportunities and go for them in my mind, I was thinking there has got to be a point where something is right for me and even though everybody's telling me this is all wrong for me there has to be a point where something is right so I just kept on going and going and going um, and eventually it turned out that there was a really huge opportunity for me and, and ultimately that made my career that built my dance career and made my career and what was that <laughs> and that, that was um being found by Nike Um, and signing to them as an athlete, as a dance athlete. Now, in the UK, well, Europe at the time, this was pretty much unheard of because dance isn't recognised as a sport. Um, And so being signed up with, you know, the the football players and the, you know, the um, track and field athletes for Nike was really a big deal because at the time Nike recognised that actually even though maybe dance is considered more of an art, actually, in order to perform it well and to be at the top of your game, you train like you would an athlete. And so we needed similar resources, similar tools. We, we followed a, a similar training plan um, to be the best that we could be within our sport, within our art. So Nike created campaigns um, for within the EMEA region, so Europe, Middle East um, and Africa, To promote and to push this idea that dance is indeed a sport and could be construed as a sport. And they created apparel and footwear for dancers. And I was certainly one of the lucky faces that got to head that campaign. And wow. so I, I worked with Nike on advertising campaigns across the, the European region, the Middle East and Africa. I worked with them on everything from opening store, new stores to promoting new products to, you know, everything that I, I, you know, I could turn my hand to as a dancer for them, I did. And it was the most amazing experience for a brand like that to recognize that I was a dancer and that I was an athlete. Even though the entertainment industry did not.
1: Hmm. Interesting. Did you get any good gear?
0: <laughs> Quite a lot of good gear, to be honest, um, and I'm still, I've still got a lot of it. Um, i get, well, a lot of it I had to give away, but yeah, we're talking sort of in the region of about 300 pairs of sneakers.
1: <laughs> oh my gosh! All right, yeah. <laughs> so, so, so that's unbelievable. My 12 year old son would be very jealous. So, uh, so tell me, um, so. So how did you get from there to what you're doing right now? That's the piece that I'd love to hear next.
0: Yeah. So whilst working with Nike, it was great to be able to hone my skills as an athlete and as a dancer and to be able to um, increase my visibility so people knew who I was and they knew what I did. Um, It was great for my career. One of the other things I was able to learn a lot from them was about brand strategy, marketing and communication. And I spent a lot of time with their teams under these guys, helping them um, and working with them to figure out the best ways that we could communicate about dance, that we could help people to see, you know, how, how dance related to them if indeed it needed did. And, you know, finding the right audiences, making sure that they got the right communications and obviously helping the brand to grow. Um, and so hold up in offices with these marketing teams, communications teams, brand teams, it taught me so much about corporate communication and also about how business is done.
1: Let, let, um, me, just, let me just pause for one sec because anyone listening needs to hear what you just said. Cause I think it's so interesting. You, um, well, you, you, you came in to be a, to be a dancer and it sounds like you did really well, But you took advantage of an opportunity to learn other things that were available right there in that organization, in that top plate, sort of the worldwide leader in marketing and communications and branding. And you sort of took that opportunity to learn that, which then allowed you to pivot to a totally different career. I just wanted to put a point on that because anyone listening needs to know that that is a great strategy. I don't know if you agree, but, but I just wanted to make that point.
0: I wholeheartedly agree wholeheartedly. If you have an opportunity to learn additional skills in whatever you do, again, even if it is something that's completely unrelated, grab it with both hands. So as a dancer, I used to attend the yearly sales meetings. There was no reason for me to be at the yearly sales meeting for Nike, but I would go anyway and I would sit at the back and I would take notes. Nike, of course, are a a huge organization. Um, And what they were talking about, generally went over my head, but I knew that in terms of, you know, how they structured what they did in, in terms of how they, they built and ran this organization, there was, there were going to be some nuggets there that I could take away and use myself. I always knew that I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I'm the, I say this all the time, I'm the world's worst employee. So I I knew that in terms of starting my own business, eventually it would happen one day. So being able to sit amongst these Great business minds that ran this huge sports organization was really a blessing for me. And if you can, if any of your listeners do have the opportunity to be able to do that within an organization, take it. It might not be relevant now, but actually hearing something from them might mean that you can make it relevant in the future.
1: So, when did you leave Nike and start what you're doing now? How did that work?
0: So, I signed to Nike in 2005. And I left them in 2012. And I actually left because I stopped dancing because I had a baby. I had my son. And I thought at the time that, you know, I'd achieved everything I needed to as a professional performer and as a dancer. And now it was time to become a mother and do some time staying at home and raise my son. And after having my son, I quickly realized that I am not stay at home mother material. So I knew that I needed to do something to, I'm, I'm very much a, a doer. I'm very much somebody who goes, you know, all in. I love working on projects and I love working on things outside of the home. So I knew that I needed to sink my teeth into something new. And then a few of my friends who knew of my experience within Nike alongside my dance. So the fact that I'd been kind of building up this, this knowledge bank around marketing and communications. They were asking about advice for their own businesses, um, and I was giving it best I could. And then another friend came to me and asked for an animated video. She said, you know, do you know anybody who can create an animated video? I want to communicate this message, but I can't afford the fees of a, ma- of a huge agency. So whilst my, I was doing my time as a dance and choreographer, I'd done a little bit in terms of video editing um, and, and very basic animation. So I said that, you know, at the time I was at home with my son. Um, I didn't really have very much to do. Um, My son was still quite small and that I'd build it for her. Just a very simple animation. So I built her a very basic animation with the skills that I'd got, you know, editing video as a choreographer um, and working with directors and incorporating the marketing and communication skills that I'd I'd gained from Nike. Um, So she went on to, released this video and it did quite well for her. And a few people asked where she had it done. So she referred them back to me and I had a couple more requests to do a few more videos, which I happily sat at home and did because I didn't think anything of it. This, of course, wasn't my choice of business. This wasn't the business that I was going to create. Um, but then very slowly, it's am well, saying very slowly over the course of about six to eight weeks, it snowballed. And I started getting all of these requests for animated video with these communication, with these mess, with this message communication incorporated. And at that point, I realized if I was going to be able to keep up with this, I'm going to need to hire people better at this than me and faster <laughs> at this than I am. Um, so I started to do that, and ultimately, that was when Doodle Direct was born. Um, I didn't even realize I had no intention of creating this animated video company, but you know, the demand just kept coming so I went with it and here we are today Um, we've officially been incorporated for three and a half years and so I guess uh, that we'd say sort of that's as long as I've been doing this seriously and decided that yes I am going to work to build this company but actually in terms of starting it and making that transition from Nike athlete to mother to business owner now it's been you know quite an unusual process um, and, and a relatively long process um, but that's how the journey
1: went. I love that. Um, you know, so many people, I think, in college think of their paths as being very linear, yes. you know, one thing after the next. And, you know, and there's some truth to that, right? You, at least in the US, you go to high school, and then many people go to college, and then many people then choose a job in line with what they studied in college. And they have this idea that that's what they're going to be in forever maybe, but that's certainly not true. And it sounds like, I I was just writing this down as you were talking, forensic pathology to dancing, to Nike, to taking advantage of all the marketing and communications and brand education you could there, to being a mom, to sort of serendipitously doing some, you know, uh, animated videos on the side, which then, which were Presumably, really good, <laughs> which got. But, but you didn't even int- intend to start a business, and then and then you started it. Very cool. So 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 what? So from your perspective, you've you've lived a very interesting professional life so far. What do you think? What kind of misconceptions do you think university students have when entering the workplace? When leaving university to go to the workplace?
0: Um, I think there were a couple actually, um, of misconceptions that they might have. Firstly, I think that them thinking that their lack of experience in the workplace within a, a, an organisation um, might mean that their voice won't be heard. So I've, I've heard this quite often, that actually you, you leave university, you get a job and you start in the workplace and you think, all I have to do is just sit in the shadows and stay quiet because I don't know anything yet. I haven't learned enough yet. When in actual fact, you know, your voice is is very, very important. So I think that's the first, the first one. Um, And also I think it's this idea that we, we have to, to kill ourselves, to overwork ourselves in the workplace in order to be noticed. And I think that that's, you know, that's completely untrue. I think everybody goes in and, and I understand why with this, this mentality that I've got to be the first person in the office in the morning and the last person to leave at night. And that's the only way that the boss is going to recognize that I'm doing good work. When in actual fact, that's completely unfounded. And why is that? Well, actually, it's about getting results. And so if you are not, or rather, okay, so if you're the first person in the office and the last person to leave at night, that's all well and good. But if it's to the detriment of your well-being, I.e. you're not getting enough sleep, you're not eating properly, exercising, spending time with family or friends, then you're definitely not going to be the best employee that you can be. So to be your best self mentally, physically, and do your best work, you've got to find the balance. Got so it. it. Yeah. If you don't find that balance, then actually, You end up being a liability for your organization because then you start to get sick and then you start to, you know, dislike the role that you're in um, because you just you spend so much time in it. Actually, what we need, uh, you know, what an organization needs are team players who can get results, who understand how to manage their time well so that actually they don't need to be in the office. So many hours, they can get the job done. They can get great results and still have time to enjoy a life outside of work. And it's so important to find that balance.
1: Mm, interesting, that makes sense. Let me just go back to the first point you raised, which I think is a really important one. But I just, I just want to see if you could elaborate just a little bit. Um, you, you said that you know a lot of young people don't think their voice is important, but their voice is important. Yes. What if, what if, what if I were a you know? It's hard for me to think about that. I'm kind of old, but <laughs> what if I were to think that I was a 20 year old and I know, and I heard what you said and I said, yeah, my voice is important. Oh wait, really? It's important. Yeah. Why, why <laughs> is it important? <laughs> it's Im- Tell me.
0: <laughs> it is important because I mean, you know, if you've been hired, it's because you are bringing something to the table. And so everything that you've learned, whether that's during your education, during life experience outside of the organization, or even if it's things that you've read, um, you know, to build up your own knowledge bank, you have ideas, opinions, and experiences that other members of your team don't have. Your ideas, your suggestions, they're valid. And you should never be afraid to pitch in with these. Now, the worst thing that can happen is that your ideas aren't accepted or agreed with. And that's absolutely fine because you don't need to take that personally. At the end of the day, When you are in a scenario where we're asking for ideas or asking for opinions, it's about getting to the vision or getting to, you know, the point that we're all trying to get to as quickly, as easily, and as pain-free as possible. If you've got an idea on how we do that, we want to hear it. Even if it's, you know, it's not valid and it can't work, throwing it into the pot does not hurt. The important thing is not to take it personally and just to know that actually you can speak up. And the more you speak up, the more ideas that you have, even if they are really awful ideas, you'll find yourself uncovering great ideas. But until you start thinking about this and having these ideas, you'll never be able to uncover the great ones. I think it was James Altucher who talks about that a lot. He's a he's an incredible serial entrepreneur. And he has, I think it works out, he, he writes down like a hundred ideas a day. That's his... His thing. That's what he works on. Every, every morning he writes down a hundred ideas. Some of the ideas are pretty good, some of the ideas are absolutely awful, but it doesn't matter. He just gets into the habit of having ideas because that's how he finds these great ideas. And he's got a, a brilliant story as well. Wow. So I think yeah. it's I think it's important. Just have ideas and give them, you know, don't be afraid to communicate them. Don't be afraid to stand up and have them, because the more that you have these ideas, the more you'll you'll uncover the great ones. And again, that's when your organization are definitely gonna love you.
1: I love that, that's a great idea. All right, so I wanna uh, bring in a student voice here. I have a student question. I'm gonna play it for you right here and we'll see what they say and we'll see what you have to say about it. So here we go.
0: Hi, my name is Akshadi Todi and I'm a college student majoring in psychology and education studies and I'm from Mumbai, India. I wanted to ask you, how do you find a job that is a good fit for you if you don't know exactly what you want
1: to do? Ah, that's a very Mm -hmm. profound question.
0: (laughs) It is a profound question. I think the answer here begins with you knowing who you are and figuring out your your purpose. Now, I know sometimes that can sound a bit airy-fairy, but actually identifying the thing that makes you leap out of bed every morning with joy is the key to having any success. So you've got to love what you do. Otherwise, it's very unlikely that it'll work for you. Um, I think the first question to ask yourself probably is, if salary and location and qualifications weren't an issue, what would you spend your days doing? What What would you just love to do if you didn't have to think about the paperwork behind it? And then next up, what, you know, what are your values? What's important to you? What do you stand for? What do you stand against? It's important to think about this um, because being able to align yourself with a career or an organization that has similar values will help you to feel really fulfilled in your role. And then maybe finally, if you can, if you can think of a problem in the world that you'd like to help to solve, then that's, that's sometimes a good route to go down because after all, Business is all about problem solving. And I think every company in the world carries out their daily business transactions in order to solve a problem somewhere. And of course, customers or clients, they'll pay for that business to solve their problems, which in turn allows the business to solve more problems for even more customers. So it's this ongoing cycle, regardless of what your business does, it continues, this big wheel keeps on turning. So if there's a particular problem problem that you feel drawn to helping people to solve, then find the company who solves it and talk to them. See if there are ways in which you can work with them. You know That might be where your opening is if you're not sure in terms of what you want to do, but you know how you want to be able to help. And if that company doesn't exist, well, I'd encourage you to potentially start that business yourself.
1: Hmm. Here's an addendum to her question. As I was thinking about it, I couldn't. I couldn't stop thinking about your choice earlier in your career, where I think you said just a, just for a moment you said something about your parents. Um, <laughs> so, what if you don't know what you want to do, but your parents have a really good idea what you should do? They they want you to be an accountant or a doctor or a lawyer or whatever it might be, but but that's not quite what you think you want to do. Do you have any advice? Um, I don't think there'll be many parents listening. Okay. <laughs> the weekend is just between me and you
0: great i might upset a few parents this is an interesting question because now i'm a parent as well I i understand yeah i understand that parents want the best for their children and not Of course, our parents were from a different generation. They were from a a generation where, you know, you needed a stable income. This idea of living life was very linear. You know, you got a good job, you then bought a house, got married, you bought a house, you had children, and it it just followed this path. And you needed a good job, a stable job, one that you knew that you could stay in for the rest of your life and earn a, a relatively decent salary you know, and be what's, you know, recognized as a respected member of the community. The problem with that though, is that actually it's you that needs to live this life. And it's you that needs to wake up every morning and feel joy about what it is that you do. Now, for some people, it is very important for them to have a job that pays them a really high salary. For some people, money is important and that is perfectly fine. For other people, it's about having a job that makes them feel fulfilled, that they know they're making a difference with. Some people can combine the two, have high salary, Hannah have a job with purpose. I mean, that is the holy grail. Um, But ultimately it comes down to what it is that you want to Again, as a parent, I, I completely understand that we want what is best for our children, but the landscape has changed so much since, you know, their generation of leaving university and starting to get a job. Digital has made things, you know, really quite different. And so actually in terms of having a career that you feel proud to have, that still allows you to live a life that, you know, you think is, is, is suitable, that you can pay your bills, that you can, you know, you can buy a house. That's, I mean, I'm, I'm not sure about house prices where you are, they're extortionate where we are. Um, but ultimately your happiness is what comes first. And I can't imagine anything worse than living a life, going to work every day, spending eight to 10 hours in a job every day, doing something that just doesn't fill you with joy. And there is absolutely no reason why in this day and age, you need to do that. Now, I I understand it can be difficult convincing our parents of this. I know that. But actually, it's you that needs to take the step. And it's you that needs to stand strong. And it's you that needs to make the decision on your career path and give it everything you've got to make it the success that you want it to be. So it's not about going against our parents to rebel. And it's not about sticking with what our parents say because they know best. It's about you thinking about what is great, what works for you, and making sure that you do everything you can in your power to do that to the best of your ability and ultimately achieve the happiness that you should have in your life.
1: Very well stated. I love that. I I, I think that'll be inspirational <laughs> to our <laughs> listeners. I, uh, I I always. It's funny as a as a as a parent. It's it's interesting to think about. Uh, my parents aren't. My kids aren't quite at that age, and I suspect yours. Your son is not Um, this has been really great. A really interesting um, nuggets and insights and tips. And what a story you have. I, I just want to finish uh, with with one final question, which is a question I often ask people can you share a a productivity tip with us? You've kind of shared some already, some really interesting ones, but do you have something up your sleeve that that could be sort of an interesting nugget to to end on?
0: Productivity is an interesting one because when we talk about productivity, it's often often linked to machines rather than humans. It's difficult for humans to be productive. Machines, we can make more productive. Humans, it can be slightly more difficult. Um, But Ultimately, I think my top productivity tip would be that multitasking is a myth. We cannot do it (laughs) as much as we want to be able to. And as much as we love telling the world that we've got all of this going on and it's really cool because I'm really busy right now. It can't happen. Not if you want to achieve anything. And actually it's about finding the one thing, being able to prioritize what needs to be done And then finding the one thing that's most important and getting that done. So finding a way to focus your time and your energies on that one thing, not being diverted, whether that's phone calls, emails, social media, colleagues at work, students, professors. You need to find a way to zone in on getting that one thing done. It's so difficult to to try and manage three, four, five tasks at a time. Your brain just doesn't work that way. And actually, in order to do things well, we just need to stay focused. Stay focused on the one thing, get it done, move on. Stay focused on the next thing, get it done, move on. I found personally that in terms of my productivity levels, they've increased massively by me just being able to shut myself off from the outside world and get one thing done at a time. Things actually start to happen. Instead of a little piece here and a little piece there, we get things done. So, in closing, no more multitasking. <laughs> Stick to the one thing. I'm, I, done.
1: <laughs> it's interesting. I I have the same philosophy. There's you know sometimes it's not so glamorous to kind of fully immerse yourself in something and really go deep in it because you know you don't you don't have those immediate rewards necessarily. But to do something yeah. I th- I think of value and you know something that's lasting and has a legacy. I I, I really I really agree with you. Um, so thank you so much. This is this has been great, um, Kim. I, I love speaking with you today. C- can you um, tell listeners how they can uh, find out more about you if they're interested?
0: I can indeed. Thank you. So you can check out my website at kimberlyj.com. I'm also on most of the social media channels, <laughs> so you'll find me on Facebook, on Instagram, and on Twitter. Though I'll be honest, I'm not the greatest when it comes to updating them, but I am there, and I do see things. <laughs> yeah. um, so please do connect with me at Kimberly J um, on Twitter, on Instagram, and also on Facebook. And
1: can well. we see where can we see some of your cool Doodle Doodle uh, Direct drawings?
0: And that's at DoodleDirect.com. So please do, yeah, check out that website because we've got some cool stuff up there for some of the companies we've worked with. So yeah, I'd love for you to see that too.
1: Cool, awesome. Thank you so much for being on. I appreciate it. Thank you, Andy. Thank you for listening to From the Dorm Room to the Boardroom. If you're interested in learning more about the work that I do and helping people step outside their comfort zones and transition successfully into the professional world, please visit my website, www.andymolinsky.com. That's A-N-D-Y-M-O-L-I-N-S-K-Y.com. And also feel free to email me directly at Andy. At AndyMalinsky.com with any feedback or ideas for guests for future podcasts. This podcast is brought to you by Brandeis University's International Business School. By teaching rigorous business, finance, and economics, connecting students to best practices, and immersing them in international experiences, Brandeis International Business School prepares exceptional individuals from around the globe to become principled professionals in companies and public institutions worldwide.